Genesis chapter 37 and verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCreary. And I'm Jonathan Purse. And today we'd like to talk to you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Genesis 37 today. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. We want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible. And we want to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. We're so thankful for you taking the time to listen to the podcast today. And of course, we have a a special guest that we will uh, introduce in just a second, uh, has already introduced himself technically, but uh, certainly thankful for Jonathan being with us. Before we do start and get his contact information uh, for you, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. If you uh, Google at Walking Through the Book, you can easily find us that way. You can also email us at walkingthroughthebook at protonmail.com. And we also encourage you to go to the website where this podcast is typically hosted, NorthColumbusChristians.com. That's the website of the congregation that I work and worship with in Columbus, Mississippi, the North Columbus Church of Christ. Uh, We've got a number of good resources on there. We encourage you to check out that website, if at all possible. As far as what we do in this show, and uh, you know, it, it got to a point where I talked with Bryant the other day, and uh, he's having some technical troubles. He, his laptop, I think his laptop screen uh, uh, busted and he uses a Mac and I chided him for using a Mac. But, uh, you know, Jonathan, you're a Mac guy, too, aren't you? Oh, no, I'm a PC guy primarily, but I do have I have plenty of Mac equipment, though. Well, you know, I, I chided him on the fact that, like, you know, any kind of part from on Macs, I mean, you're going to be putting some some cost into that, I would think. But, uh, you know, uh, teach their own. But regardless, while he works on that and gets that worked out, I asked him, you know, can we get somebody else on to kind of fill in the gap there? And he's totally fine with that, of course. And uh, and so Brian's not here to go over the flow of the program. What we typically do is we read through the whole chapter, if at all possible. Um, and we then go into a section called initial observations where we just some initial takeaways, some things that really jumped out at us even during that reading and just looking at that in a more localized fashion. Then we go into the theme section, which will be uh, connecting all of these dots together in terms of the greater context of Scripture. And Scripture does indeed have a context. The Bible has a context in and of itself. And we want to apply all the things that we've learned so that we can actually uh, improve as the Bible students and followers and disciples that Christ wants us to be. And so we want to remember that as we go through as well. But Jonathan, why don't you uh, let our listeners know who you are and how they can contact you? Well, sure. Uh, once uh, before I begin, let me just say thank you for inviting me out to uh, be a part of this. Uh, I certainly hope we can bring some benefit to it. 
Uh, I've been preaching for about 25 years. Um, uh, name's Jonathan Purs. Um, my wife is Sally Purs, and uh, we've got six children and one uh, one daughter-in-law, one grandchild. And so uh, uh, our family is growing. Uh, the top five of my kids are adults, and my little one's just a 10-year-old. And so uh, we're certainly thankful, and I'm blessed in that regard. As I said, I've been preaching for about 25 years. I delivered my first sermon while I was in the Air Force at a small church of Christ just outside of Grand Forks Air Force Base in North Dakota. That's in that upper river, Red River Valley, the really cold part. But as I finished up my enlistment down in Rapid City, South Dakota, I did some preaching there for the Southside Church of Christ and some teaching and, and started to, the uh, preacher who was there, Jeff Belknap at the time, took me under his wing and, and, and was starting to help ground me and, uh, and help me prepare to do the work of an evangelist. And, uh, well, after my enlistment, I moved to, uh, and started full-time preaching for the Hillcrest Church of Christ in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where I stayed for five years, a little over five years. From there, I moved to Moody, Alabama, where I labeled, labored with the Moody Church of Christ for 15 and a half years. And so, um, after that point, I stepped down as the full-time preacher there to begin this next phase of my work, where I'm striving to dedicate my full-time efforts primarily on the work of evangelism or outreach, which is what I'm doing now. Uh, my family and I are currently worshiping with the Trustful Church of Christ in Trustful, Alabama, as we begin this adventure. And so uh, I have a reasonably new website up if you want to find a little bit more about me or read some of my materials or hear some of the things and uh, that I've been uh, doing and preaching. Uh, the web address is www.simplyapreacher.com. And I also use my Facebook wall a great deal uh, to share the gospel with as many as uh, will read and listen. And so by all means, feel free to uh, look me up on Facebook if you'd like. Well, thank you for taking the time to to be on this podcast. And, uh, you know, it's it's really, really great to, to have you on here. You know, Jeff Belknap is actually another person that I should think of trying to get on here at some point uh, if he's willing and uh, certainly appreciate him as well. Uh, but but thank you so much for taking this time. And uh, um, if nothing else, I think we can get into our reading. Okay. Genesis 37. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. 
There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard.
So in our initial observations, of course, we are looking at things that uh, really jumped out us out to us in that reading. And uh, Jonathan, what are some things that you know to you seem particularly significant in this chapter? Well, you know, as you look at the first eleven verses, there, <clears throat> the story of Joseph's brothers and. And the relationship he had with his father and as well as with his brothers is kind of interesting. There are a lot of great lessons there. What jumps out at me is the the the, the transition, the, the degradation of that relationship by virtue of the things that were happening. I mean, Joseph gives a bad report of two of his, uh, well, of four of his brothers, really, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, which, were, which constituted four of the brothers. And then in case, and then from there, you know, his father's preferential treatment, he gave him that coat of many colors that causes his brothers to hate him. And they could not even speak peaceably with him at that point. And then, I mean, and then his dreams alienated them even further, causing them to envy him. You know, and then it goes from there to, you know, he even expressed a dream where his parents are bowing down to him. But his father's reaction was kind of interesting because his father just kept the matter in mind. You know, I mean, he just, it seemed like he chastened him a little bit and said, what, even your mom and I are going to bow down to you? But it seemed like, uh, you know, his father just kept the matter, uh, matter in mind, which is kind of interesting. We'll probably come to in the, so talk, dig a little deeper into it. But then as you go on in the chapter, you know, there's just some realities that jump out at me. You know, he goes out uh, to find his brothers as he's commanded. You know, Joseph's response initially was interesting when his father called him. He says, here I am. And if you actually go back and do a little research, a little study and look up that phrase, there's some pretty key figures in the Bible who use that same phrase when called upon to be messengers for God in some way, which is fundamentally what Joseph at this point is becoming. He's going to become a, a, a spokesman for God in, in a way, you know, in a very interesting way, as a matter of fact, as his life moves on. Uh, but uh, he gets out there and then this plot to kill him by his brothers. Wow. You know, I mean, what do you say to that? Uh, just things had gotten that bad in their hatred. But there's some parallels for that, you know, later on in Scripture that we read uh, that are, that kind of bring some possible type antitype relationships into the picture. And, uh, well, they sell them into slavery uh, uh, to the Midianites for 20 shekels of silver, and he's taken down to Egypt. Some other interesting uh factors there as we look at it you know reuben was an interesting character because reuben seemed to want to take the high ground here at least in some measure you know but uh that fell through and then then, uh, of course joseph uh, i mean jacob had to grieve his son Mm -hmm. because he believed his son dead and all the while joseph's being sold down river to egypt uh and ends up in the off house of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, which sets the stage for some incredible events. Yeah. One of the big things we've been talking about in the book of Genesis itself 
is a, a general theme of separation. And, you know, it just seems like God is, is at, at, at you know, according to his will, essentially uh, allowing things to, to be pulled apart. Um, however, really in the previous chapters to this, to this chapter, it seems like we've had a coming together too, because, you know, you have Esau and, and, and uh, Esau and Jacob come back together and they, they get on a good, uh, you know, good togetherness aspect. And you see the family coming to, back together when Jacob comes back home uh, to uh, to basically where his his uh, his father Isaac is uh, ends up at Mamre there in uh, chapter thirty five, and now I think you know you've got this final what I would call this final section of the book, and it begins with a very I would say a very vicious separation of this young man from the rest of his family. And, you know, it's just, uh, it, it is kind of, uh, incredible when you think about, you know, what, what if this were to happen to me and, uh, those amazing, uh, qualities that God shows us in this. And I think you're right. There, there's so many good lessons for us to learn and consider, um, you know, uh, ongoing thread, I think that is typically brought up in any study of Genesis is the favoritism aspect that seems to uh, continue on. You know, one thing I'd like your your thoughts on this, um, Jonathan, is that one thing I've thought of with Isaac's favoritism. And, you know, one thing that we that we mention on this this show a lot, especially in terms of Genesis, is we have to be so careful criticizing these people that lived so long ago, um, because we tend to want to put them under the same umbrella that we're under. Um, and I think sometimes we judge them unfairly because of that. Um, you know, Isaac, you know, uh, there's, there's nothing specifically in the text here, but it would seem to me that Isaac grew up knowing that he was the son of promise. Um, I don't think that was a secret right. that Abraham kept from him. And so, you know, and, and Isaac in turn has a favoritism for Esau early on. But one thing that I really that I really noticed um, this time in really studying through together with Bryant is that, you know, can you can you blame? I'm not sure I can blame Isaac harshly in that aspect because once he realizes that Esau is no longer the son of promise, he turns his attention completely to Jacob, and and I think right. that's just a great thing. And, and, and there is an aspect here, you know, yes, is Jacob showing favoritism to Joseph? Yes, there's no doubt. Um, it is part of that because of who Joseph came from, you know, uh, Rachel was the love of Joseph's life. I, I don't think I'm being absurd when I'm saying that. And, uh, you know, another right. aspect we discussed too was how Leah was so, um, she she wanted J uh, Jacob's love so badly, um, and, and she was such a. It seems like she's such a good, godly wife. I mean, generally, just she has this service mentality. Um, to not not just to serve, but to be faithful and you know be be good as a spouse. But it doesn't seem like she ever really got that. And it seems like Jacob's you know heart was completely and totally Rachel's the whole time, and so uh, you know. But even just from the standpoint that, you know, seeing how Joseph seems to be a good kid, 
And there's the there's the aspect there that again, yeah, should Israel have been more careful about the way that you know that he treated Joseph? Maybe you know is the tunic going too far? Maybe, <laughs> but but yeah. but on the flip side, let's appreciate you know our you know uh, we'll talk about this more in the application, but but he's showing that I think for a reason. I think he appreciates Joseph not just because. Um, you know, well, the text actually says he was the son of his old age. So it's an aspect that, you know, here's, here's this son that I'm going to show appreciation to. That's not always a bad thing, but yeah, I'd I'd like your thoughts on that. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. You bring this up. My family, we have a standing joke because I have six kids, five of them are older, you know, but uh, uh, my two youngest, my daughter and my son, my oldest, uh, uh, call them Joseph and Benjamin and uh, you know and they we even got a uh, little pullover uh, of my daughter Julia that has a you know it's a colorful pullover and they said that's her coat of many colors you know and so that's the standing joke in our house you know but there is a reality there's just certain things that come to pass and you can't explain them the Bible doesn't take the time to explain this favoritism in any way except that it created a dynamic in which set the stage for Joseph ending up in Egypt, which was exactly, if we know the story ahead, is exactly where Joseph needs to be for God to make use of Joseph in the future. And so providential, possibly, you know, I mean, stranger things have happened and been recorded in Scripture in terms of how things come to pass. I don't know that I can dogmatically say one way or the other what Joseph was, what Jacob was doing was wrong in his treatment of Joseph and even Benjamin uh, in, some measure, in some measure. But at the end of the day, Joseph was clearly a special person, one called out by God for a very specific purpose and stands among the mighty in terms of faith and in terms of what he did to forward God's plan that brought us to Christ. And so when we think this big picture type of thing, I get so fearful of finding myself arguing with God about the situation more so than just recognizing, trying to paint it through my own eyes rather than just recognizing, hey, this is what it was in this situation in this family. We know the older brothers had their issues. They had other issues besides what they did to Joseph in their lives. I mean, each one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, is 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 marked in some way, especially when when Jacob starts handing out blessings, we get a clear picture of, you know, what kind of situation he was dealing with yet, uh, there. And uh, and it's just kind of an interesting dynamic all along. But, you know, I don't know that I could dogmatically say there was any wrong in the favoritism or uh, or, or anything right in it. It just was. And I just accepted by faith at that point. But the, the way that favoritism came to pass and what it led to, there's certainly, I think, some lessons in that for us. And being sensitive, I mean, not to provoke other our other children to wrath because we've chosen a favorite or something. We've I do think we need to be careful with that and wise about what we're doing. But at the same time we can look at this and recognize there could have been a bigger picture and there certainly was a heavier hand in play and and, and we need to be careful too that we're not thinking that these people just did not understand anything about uh you know what this relationship with god meant and what this promise meant yeah you know i mean the new testament tells a lot about that anyway we, we keep going about that in the next section but um you know uh 
Well, I would make this observation too, um, Stephen. It's, it's something very interesting here about the reality of Joseph might have had his father's preferential treatment in some measure. But man, did Joseph have it bad, you know? I mean, he spent some years in slavery, spent some years in prison. Uh, yeah, yeah, and things might get a little cushier after that, but there was still some awesome responsibility with what he was doing. But, you know, something tells me those scales are kind of evened out a little bit. So in the theme section, uh, we want to tie the bigger picture of what's going on in the Bible to what we saw locally. And, uh, of course, there are some ways that we sort of remain tight-lipped about certain things uh, in the previous section. That can always that, That's always a challenge, you know, when, when Bryant and I do this. And, uh, yeah. But I think it's a good mental exercise because, again, you have to ask, ask yourself, does this make sense locally? And, and where does all this fit in in the bigger picture? Sometimes if we if that's as you mentioned in the previous section, Jonathan, if the bigger picture is all we ever look at, then we end up maybe making coming to some some wrong conclusions about the motivations or the thoughts about these people that really aren't recorded in the text. And uh, so Jacob, uh, you know, excuse me, Joseph, uh, you know, just to kind of start us off here. Joseph, to me, is the closest that we get in the book of Genesis to the character and the person of Jesus. Would would you agree with that? Oh, yes, wholeheartedly. As a matter of fact, there's, there's some other striking similarities that go just beyond the person and character of Jesus. Even events and circumstances are kind of interesting. I don't know that I'd be dogmatic about them as type antitype, so to say, uh, but the similarities are striking mm-hmm. when we paint the bigger picture. And and when you think about it here, you know, I don't, there's nothing recorded in scripture about, uh, you know, Jesus growing up next to his brothers and sisters, right? We do right. have a moment in the book of Mark where uh, his, his mother and his brothers seem to be trying to look for him and, and take him back home. We have the moment in the book of John where it says clearly even his brethren didn't didn't believe in him at the time. Uh, you know, they're saying if, if you if you're saying all these things, show yourself to the world. Um, yeah. And it wasn't uh, it wasn't from the motivation it doesn't seem to be in that scripture for the motivation of like, you know, we're with you 100 percent. It was almost more like maybe a testing. I, I don't know. Sometimes it comes across that way to me in the reading. But uh you know, so so there might have been some aspect of friction there. Um, imagine having a brother or sister that is literally <laughs> that is literally sinless. Um, you know, maybe that was difficult for his family. Who knows? I think there's a reason why we don't have that. But we do have this aspect that here's a son that it just seems to me he's he's treasured by his father. Um, and there there is this animosity that builds up. Uh, in the rest of the family, um, 
because of that. And then even so, even more so, the idea that it's Joseph's brothers that sell him into this. Um, I mean, that ties into to, to me to John chapter one. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Um, but uh, there's a there's a number of things um, with the dream specifically, and I would look at passages like you know Matthew twenty one forty two Acts four eleven. First Peter two six, I think, is the clearest one. You know, therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. I, I tie that reference to, you know, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I see a lot of parallels between that and the dreams that that Jacob has. Uh, could you speak to that, Jonathan? Okay. Um- I'm trying to think through in terms of what specific way, Stephen, do you see that connection in terms of what specific aspect of of the stones which the builders rejected and and Stephen's and and Jesus's I mean in Joseph's dreams, except you know, I do recognize that God clearly has chosen Joseph for something here. Mm-hmm. And he's indicating this this emphasis and his brothers are gonna reject him based upon that but i'm not sure if that's where you're going with that no that's exactly i mean that's 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 precisely what i was thinking and it's not okay it's it again i think i think it is something that we see sort of in a in a micro way here and it's just something that echoes later on and it's just it again it's one of these situations where and we say this a lot on this program that that if you understand who jesus is and if you seek to make that your whole purpose and if you see the bible through that lens you know, again, that's where you'll be much less likely to get, get into this trap of like, well, all these people are wrong <laughs> and, and they're just doing terrible things to each other. And, you know, why should I, why should I be reading this at all? Well, again, I think the message of Genesis is that, that God's hand is in all this. And even though you have these imperfect people, these weak people that are going through this story, <laughs> It helps us to understand that that it ties in. You know, uh, you go back and and you see how all of this. Again, I think Joseph shows this the most clearly that that Jesus is an echo of all of this in a sense. Sure, um, sure. But I think that's because he's 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 present in the Godhead. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's kind of interesting just to even piggyback on that a little bit and bring out a couple other similar observations to that. Yeah. Think about the dreams that were interpreted. Joseph just gives them what he what he dreamed. He doesn't interpret them for him. He just gives them what his dreams and his brothers seem to take him as delusion to grandeur. You almost get that sense a little bit with Jesus. Mm. And the, the the relationship that what well, we're not told specifically about, you can imagine he had with his family and his brothers. You know, there, there had to be some dynamics there that were in play. But then um, um, what they didn't see was God's hand in this. Mm. Uh, for some reason or another, that seemed to evade them. Hence, they were willing to even go to a degree to undermine it, which in fact was God even using them and what they were going to do that was wrong to uh, to uh, um, <clears throat> accomplish his will. But, you know, it, it, I don't know why, but Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 come to mind. Mm. 
when I was thinking about this and the interpretation, how the two different takes on the dreams that he was having, even his father, Jacob's take on it, that he just kept these matters in his heart. But when you look at it, Second Peter 2, it says there, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What that reminds me of and why that kind of struck me was you had really two different, three different looks at these dreams that he was having going on here. One a little bit unsure, and so I'm going to keep this in my heart. Another, uh, another one saying, and our brother's a little crazy here. And, you know, and they're getting angry and envious of him over it. And, and of course, Joseph, I imagine, while he knew the dream, I'm not sure he fully comprehended what what this really entailed, what this was, where this was going to take him, that he was going to end up in Egypt, you know, uh, for this very reason and to fulfill God's plan. And so later on, you know, we're even going to see some real symbolism in this, the sheaves of wheat for later. Uh, uh, coming to play later, they're going to be grain stored in that time of famine. Mm. Heaven's bowing mm. down. Joseph's rise to power in Egypt for the good of Israel. I'm not sure Joseph had that con- those concepts in mind, but maybe he did. I don't know. The text doesn't say one way or the other, but it does make you think a little bit about the reality of how people, you know, somebody might have a dream today and say, see, God was talking to me. and They might come away with one look at it. Somebody else comes away with another look at it. It's hard to be dogmatic until God actually unfolds whatever it is, mm. you know, mm. and chances are it's none of the above, especially in today's day and age. But in those day and ages, they, there was some struggle with the realities of, uh, of of how God, when he miraculously revealed themselves to these folks, how, how these things played out. And so, but at the end, it was how God played it out. And look, if I'm writing this book, if I'm writing this story, fiction or nonfiction or whatever, if I'm writing this story, I don't know that I take it down this road, you know, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Yet this is the road that God took it down to make these things come to pass, to bring these things to pass for his goodwill. Just kind of humbling a little bit in terms of trying to wrap our, uh, you know, wrap our hands around the mind of God and grasp what it is he's doing in our lives today. Yeah, we can speculate. We, and, and we try to have a, a modicum of healthy speculation on this program, but I mean, you know, I, I, I can't know how Joseph approached them with these dreams. I, I don't, I don't imagine, I don't read it in a haughty way when I, when I read it, but I, I don't really know. Oh. Um, but, but I do think, you know, just talking about the way that, that, uh, Jacob was responding to all these things. Um, of course it reminds us about Luke two, when Jesus you know, his family's in Jerusalem. They, they leave, they find out all of a sudden, Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, we thought you were with family, but no, you know, they've come back and they find Jesus. They've already left and they, they, yeah. they realize he's not there. And so they come back verse 48, you know, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Luke two forty nine. he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Same thing that Jacob is doing here. Um, yep. and, and, and I love that aspect too, though, that here is the creator of the universe and he is putting himself in subjection to his parents and his parents are, you know, uh, there's a whole other aspect there, but, the fact that his mother kept all these things in her heart, obviously she did not 
completely understand this. And nobody really seemed to understand this until Jesus was raised from the dead. Right. Exactly right. You know, you know, even then you tie a couple, another couple thoughts come to my mind. Just as you think uh, you're mentioning that, you know, uh, some other similarities, you know, Joseph, Mary, Mary keeping these things in his heart, Jacob keeping these things in his heart. And then you've got uh, Joseph being sold as a slave to the Midianite traders for 20 shekels of silver. And so, you know, we talked about parallels to Jesus. You know, Jesus was uh, sold out uh, for a, uh, a token of uh, coins, too, you know, which kind of makes us think a little bit. Is it a, Can I be dogmatic about it? No, but it just the parallels are kind of striking. You know, and Joseph's story is going to be one of salvation for his people, which is a very powerful and poignant picture of what Jesus is going to accomplish later on in life, uh, later on in the Bible story and the larger theme of Scripture. You know, but then you even get, uh, uh, um, you know, some of the other pictures. You know, where was Joseph taken to, for example? Egypt, you know, Jesus had to spend a little time in Egypt as a baby, too, because he was run out, you know, uh, uh, by virtue of uh, Herod and what he wanted to accomplish. And so it's just kind of some wild stuff going on there and some seemingly coincidental stuff. But I always have a hard time wrestling with coincidence when it comes to Scripture. You know, coincidence or providence, it's kind of makes you wonder a little bit. And isn't it amazing that God accomplishes all this stuff with Jacob? And as we'll see in the in the passage of the book, that um, he accomplishes all this, uh, I think, like you say, through providential means. Uh, the most supernatural we no. get is the fact that, you know, Joseph is able to interpret the dreams and the dreams themselves, right? But that's not something that you really see as far as miracles within Scripture. And so that within itself is pretty amazing. And then, of course, I was also thinking, as you were saying that, too, about how about what Joseph says to his brothers at the end of the book. Um, If you look at at Genesis 50 and verse 20, you know, uh, his brothers are basically terrified. They're they're concerned that he's going to get revenge on them for selling him into slavery. And Joseph says to them, this is think of how loving this is. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And when you apply that to the message of Jesus and what happened with Jesus and and what happened with the whole rulership of Judea and Israel itself, it just it is it, it blows my mind to think about the fact that, you know, here God is telling us these these stories that basically give us the foundation for everything else we see. And uh it's just so, so incredible that we've been given this. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely right. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that I'm mindful of Stephen's in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7 there when he's standing before the Sanhedrin uh, and giving account and talking to God, preaching the gospel to them. He takes it all the way back to the history of the Jews, you know, and his abridged version of Stephen's story of uh Joseph's story here in Acts 7, starting in verse 9, he says, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But then here's five critical words. But God was with him. Mm. 
and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and a great trouble come over the land of Egypt and Canaan and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And a second time Joseph made known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for the sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of promise drew near, which God has sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt to another till another king arose who did not know Joseph. And so there you have that um, Stephen, in a very synoptic and uh, condensed form, bringing to bear the story on the larger picture of Scripture, you know. But those five words jumped out at me and just uh, stick in my head that God was with him. So all that's happening here, this is God's hand. Mm. And so to deny the providence in that, in light of such a clear declaration of God's providence in it, it would be foolish, you know. And so we recognize God's providence in it. And in that, we find it hard to argue with some of the nuances, you know, that we might see a little bit differently or we might think about because of our culture and because of our normalities, which, uh, you know, which are just going to be somewhat different than they existed in that patriarchal age and in the day when, uh, uh, when they were, uh, you know, traveling and sojourning, uh, the Israelites. And so it's just kind of powerful stuff when we start to think about it. But the, the people of Israel were just still a small little speck. They were a grain of sand. There were 75 people, the text says, when they came into Egypt. And so, I mean, God's going to work something mighty from uh, from some raw clay here that is just uh, uh, phenomenal. And to me, that's just a faith-building exercise overall because God in this is actually unfolding that larger plan to bring Christ into the world, which is so huge, you know, mm. in terms of our faith. That you is. know, one, one other thing, too, that I'm seeing here that I'd like to maybe consider, too, is, you know, Joseph's, uh, Joseph's tunic being dipped in the blood. Um, yeah. Uh, what sure. was the, what was the, uh, lie <laughs> that the Jewish rulers tried to permeate? They tried to, to, to put this lie about that, that the disciples of Jesus had stolen the body and, and yeah. just it secreted it away. Um, and yeah. you know, I, I think one of the most powerful, uh, reasoning aspects of proofs of the resurrection is of course that, if they wanted to stop Jesus, if they wanted to stop the movement of Christianity in its tracks, all they would have had to do was, was produce the body. And so in a similar case here, they produced this trumped up evidence to Jacob, but it's not the truth. And over time, that truth is going to be made known. Um, and it's going to be, be made clear. Uh, so despite the misinformation God is still victorious. Um, yeah. That's just another thing. I you know, the brother's sin would find them out, but that's real powerful too. What you're saying there, the brother's sin eventually found them out, but you know, God used these circumstances and events, uh, albeit negative events to bring about his will, but still the truth came out and the brothers, you know, 
um, well, they were shaking and trembling in their boots when they were standing before Joseph, as you've read from the end of the book here. So it's kind of interesting how that all plays out. God's justice is still in play. Wasn't that God was ordaining or allowing a lie or commanding a lie? He was, he was just playing off the events and circumstances as they were unfolding. And how his hand plays in that, I, I would not even begin to feign to to comment on. But, you know, I mean, uh, I can't speak to the how, but clearly— God was with Joseph throughout all this, and that there's something to be said for that. So as I say on this program very often, we can go to uh, church services every Sunday of our lives. We can go to every Bible study. We can go to every meeting or anything we want. We can listen to sermons and you know read our Bibles all the time. But if we're not applying the knowledge to our lives specifically, then we've missed out on something. And that's really what we want to do with this uh, particular part of the program as we wind it down, as we think about how does this apply uh, to me and what does this really mean for me in my life and in my search to be more like God, to be more like the, the disciple that he wants. Um, you know, I, I guess, again, one of the shallow <laughs> surface level, I think, lessons we can pull out is, uh, you know, be careful about favoritism among your children. But at the same time, <laughs> appreciate the ones that deserve that appreciation. And so yeah, that's the thing. That's the, that's the careful edge that we're trying to walk here is that we're having a, uh, to have this balance there. Um, and, and we've already spoken to a lot of that, but did you have anything else on that, Jonathan? Well, yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I can add to what you're saying, except that, you know, uh, having raised six children, there are going to be times when children are, you know, ruffle your feathers, they get you upset, you know, and they do things that aren't right, you know. Uh, and then there are going to be times where one of them really stands out and shines. And and should should the one who stands out and shines be punished because, you know, or, or not be true, uh, that not be recognized by virtue of it's it's hard to say in any given circumstance. But, you know, I'm not sure you're going to balance that equation out perfectly as you go through life. At the end of the day, just love your children and love them the best you can. And you're not going to go wrong. And I believe, I believe Jacob loved his children. I believe that was clear. You know, he loved his children, all of them. But he, uh, uh, you know, but Joseph was a standout, and not just in Jacob's eyes, but in God's hmm. eyes. There's something to be. You can't argue with that. Yeah, and and he he doesn't completely reject this situation, even though he doesn't understand it. Um, and that's, that's yeah. something for us to think about as well is, you know, well, maybe this is all working out for a particular end. Um, you know, yeah. it just, it just depends. I, I, you know, uh, Jonathan, I'm sure you've counseled, um, multiple families as far as, uh, you know, when someone suffers a, a severe death or a tragedy within a family, um, you know, it gets hard to figure out exactly what to say. Um, but, but there is also, there's always that aspect that even when something difficult rises up, that maybe, 
maybe good can come out of that in some way. Yeah. Um, but you really got to look for the good. I mean, I mean, otherwise it's, it's all pretty depressing, isn't it? You know, and Christianity is something rooted in hope, you know? And so we really got to find that hope. We got to look to those brighter things. We got to see God's working in us to bring out the best of us, even in difficult times with difficult circumstances and various challenges we face. Trials and adversities aren't necessarily bad things. They might not feel good, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad things because if we work our way through them, if we see our way through them by God's grace, we're going to be better and stronger for it. But yeah, it doesn't mean it feels good while it's going mm-hmm. on. So, Could we pull something else out about, I mean, I know that, you know, we've discussed this already, but I mean, uh, I, I don't think we have inspired dreams today personally. I mean, I may be wrong about that. I mean, we can talk about that, but, uh, but generally I don't think you have children growing up. I don't think you have people in families that are having, you know, the kind of dreams that Joseph is having here. Um, but right. c- could there be an aspect here that, you know, let's say in your, in your study, you know, I, I guess I'm thinking about, you know, the kid that's grown up in his, in his family's house and, you know, they, he, he finds something interesting in scripture that he wants to share, you know, with other people in the family. And maybe he is treated harshly because of that. Um, you know, I think, I think if you apply that and look at what Joseph does through that lens, it might help us understand that even if I face hostility uh, in sharing the truth of scripture, uh, you know, the truth about what God wants us all to know or wants us all to possibly see, uh, even if I face resistance toward that, doesn't mean that I, that I stop doing it. Well, sure. There's a, there's even a larger picture, I think, that goes beyond that, beyond the family, beyond the scope of mm-hmm. just the family. I mean, look, I'm going to share the gospel with people and there are going to be many people who reject, but I have to say, there are going to be people who look at me cross-eyed, think I'm a little bit crazy, think I'm buying into fairy tales, fantasy and fiction, think I'm believing in some big, big, uh, uh, a man in the sky and so on and so forth. I've heard it all, you know, and I imagine I'll hear all kinds of other things before it's all said and done, but it's my faith talking. And at the end, you know, when it all washes out, the answers will be clear. Who was right and who was wrong will be known. Uh, We'll all stand or fall based upon what we accepted or rejected during the course of our lives. And so, you know, the reality of Joseph going through this period of rejection, I, I can relate to this. You can relate to this. I think we all can relate to this. Anybody who believes and who has spoken for the cause of Christ can relate to this. We go through this period of, of where there are those in our lives who reject us. But there's going to be this day for Christians, disciples everywhere, where they're going to be able to stand up. And I don't know that any of us are going to be so brash as to say, see, I told you so. But I think the evidence will be a little bit overwhelming. I think God's going to put the great big exclamation point on, on it all and say, they told you so, you know, and that's going to be those words of judgment, you know, or some version thereof that, or at least something that resonates in our minds. Why didn't mm-hmm. I listen? You know, and you get this story here, you know, what they were doing, they, these brothers, they didn't realize what they were doing, you know, and didn't realize the events that were unfolding right before their eyes. How hmm. could they? God certainly hadn't revealed it to them. So how could they? And so I can't fault them for it, but we recognize that they, uh, <clears throat> that, 
in the end, when it washed out, boy, that picture became crystal clear, didn't it? And how great God is and how gracious he is. And so, and how just he is. And so when it's all said and done, there's a lot of elements there. And Excuse me, I'm sorry. There is a lot of what you're there, saying. There is an aspect there, of course, that we want to learn that, that making up stories about someone dying is not a good idea. And it's not something that God, you know, God does not want us to lie. Um, and, right. you know, but, but there's something else there too, to consider. And it makes me think about, you know, what, uh, I think what Paul was writing about, you know, some, some preach Christ out of envy, you know, and, uh, and that aspect yeah. of it, um, you know, when you think about that, you know, Paul was glorifying in, you know, he, Paul, Paul was appreciative of the fact that the gospel was preached, regardless of the motivations, who's preaching it. But when you read into that and understand that, you know, those who were preaching out of envy, preaching out of unsound motives, they're preaching the truth, but it wasn't doing them any good. And, and so yeah. there is an aspect there for us to think about there that, you know, can, can you lie and good come out of you telling that lie? Well, sure. But it doesn't mean, you know, it's, it doesn't mean that it's going to do you any good. And one of the examples that I guess some people might get sick of me bringing up, and I I don't think, I think I've only brought up once in this podcast, but you know, I like to watch the Andy Griffith show um, from time to time. Well, you watch the Andy Griffith show just a little bit. You start to realize that, that the character of Andy Taylor, he lies a lot to make other people feel good or feel better or to, to smooth over a rough moment. And, uh, you know, we don't ever need to think that, that lying is something that will, that will do good ultimately. And of course, uh, you know, like you said, there's no way these brothers could, could have known, uh, what was going on. And it's, it's so wonderful that Joseph eventually has this, this mercy and grace upon them in that, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people you know, this day. So um, yep. anyway, I, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but I just wanted to toss that out there. No, that's an interesting, interesting thought for sure, because of uh, the nature of things. Look, I mean, there can be no doubt about it. You know, we might justify in our minds or rationalize, which interesting. Interestingly enough, you take that word and divide it in two. You got what you got there. It's a rational lie. We might tell ourselves a rational lie that lying is good. But at the end, no, lying is not good. Lying is prohibited. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns in everlasting fire. But doesn't mean God can't turn uh, take that that lie that came out of your mouth. It's like God using the Babylonians to punish Israel. Why would God use an evil people to punish his people? You know, you stop and think about it. God can turn events the way he needs to turn events. The, you know, it just goes to show the power of God and the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God that uh, comes to bear in the factors of our lives, you know, and how he providentially allows things to unfold, allows things to unhappen. He, can, he knows, he sees, he understands what's going on. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and he, but he still bring his plan to pass. You know, the very fact that he was able to bring this plan to pass in the way he does, the plan of Christ, that is, I speak of, is just, to me, is, a, is a, another reason why I believe in God. And why I cannot deny the existence of God, you know, uh, just because of what what he's um, 
made to unfold and just powerful. If it was stuff. all just men putting it together, it would be impossible. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus says. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, who'd have wrote this play? You know, if it was a fiction or a story, who'd have wrote it? it just, it's just too much here. It's just an overwhelming amount when you paint the picture of evidence that points in the direction of the hand of God being with Joseph. Powerful stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, just a couple small applications, I think, that might be beneficial. One, you can argue that uh, Joseph's treatment by his brothers was grounds for righteous indignation. You know, you could easily argue that. Who would deny it? I mean, Joseph, mm-hmm. you kind of feel like Joseph would have been in a right to return the wrong his brothers had done to him. Uh, granted, we're not under the law of Moses at this point, but an eye for an eye seems like it would have been appropriate here, right? But how do we know when our, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. righteous indignation is not somehow hindering the work of God in some way? You know, I mean... We got to be careful with righteousness in the nation. It's hard to be angry and be right. You know, I think of James and what James said in James 1 19 and 20 when he said, Be slow to speak, slow to uh, uh, wrath. You know, for the wrath of man, verse 20 says, does not work the righteousness of God. And it's important for us to recognize that Joseph could have been angry, but Joseph chose a road of mercy and grace. And it's just a powerful example. And Joseph's treatment of his brothers later on in light of what they did to him. I mean, threw him in a ditch. They were going to kill him for crying out loud. They sold their brother into slavery and they even took money for it. I mean, adding insult to injury, pouring salt in the wound, you know, but still at the end of the day, there's just this there's this great big humility in Joseph that makes him the perfect character for these events. But boy, can we learn from Joseph's example and how he was meat for the master's use, which would be my really my second application. You know, by Joseph's standards, he was in a terrible way. I mean, he just got sold up river. But by God's standard, Joseph was exactly where he was needed by God. Sometimes things do not unfold the way we, it doesn't seem like things are going well for us, not unfold the way we expect them to. But you see, trusting in God means being meet for his use in any situation or circumstance, even if it seems, quote unquote, unfair to us. You know, and that's a hard thing for us to learn sometimes, I think, that uh, not all the circumstances even uh, are going to be hunky-dory and full of uh, light and glory, and they're all going to be happiness and everything else and and things that we can't be. You know, Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy 2, verses 20 and uh 20 and 21 there he says but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay some for honor and some for dishonor therefore if anyone cleanses himself from the latter he will be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work does that describe us today we prepared for god to use us in ways that we might not realize we're being used by god you know it's that moment where we choose to let loose that choose to let go of our upbringing, our Christian morals, that we find ourselves, that we just found ourselves missing an opportunity that God could have used us for, you know? And how many times is that going to happen in our lives and we not even realize that God had plans for us through his providence and we were just absent, we were AWOL, and uh, because we were busy 
seeking self. We were busy uh, uh, pursuing worldly things. We were we were engaged in things we ought not to be engaged in. And we had sin in our lives that we were living in a way that was unrighteous. We were treating people wrong around us. Husbands treating their wives bad. Their prayers are hindered. And, and we can go on and on with the list of, of ways in which, you know, where God can use us, we're not meet for his use. Joseph was a character who was meet for God's use. And he was exactly where he needed to be by God. And it was under the worst of circumstances, it would seem like. I mean, I don't imagine slavery, getting uh, imprisoned and and such forth, uh, uh, being exactly hunky-dory situations that we found him. But this is where God needed him at this point in his life. And maybe sometimes we need to back up from what we think are terrible circumstances and ask ourselves, God, if this is where you need me, and I pray I can be meet. And for your mm. use, you know, and be sanctified and ready mm. to be used by you. And so it's just some, some things that I think about when I think of Joseph's story, because it's it's just such a passionate one, such a, a story of righteousness and humility, all wrapped up in one and faith, really, when it's said and done. I mean, because even as God is revealing these things, man, it's not very powerful to be able to use by God in these ways. It's, it's interesting you say that, too, because... The life in the ancient world was that way in the sense that you you were not promised tomorrow, you know. I mean, and you're still not promised tomorrow, though. That's the that's the truth of things. Of course, that was just a lot more real back in those times. Um, that that it was very uh, very simple for your life to change, you know, very very quickly. And while we have uh, you know societal barriers placed up today, that can still happen. And so maybe the question we need to be asking is, you know, uh, am I ready under the conditions right now? And would I still be useful for God if I lost everything tomorrow? Um, and, you know, you never know what could happen on that front. And uh, so it's so very important for us to think about that from from that standpoint. So thank you so much for that. No, glad. Uh, you know, it's just uh, just something that strikes me. It's very humbling. Joseph's a powerful example in my life. I like to think of uh, Joseph a lot when I think about how I should act and how I should be and, and where my life should be. Young men should be thinking about Joseph-type qualities in their lives, you know, and being able yes. to be used in, in, in ways uh, for God, you know. You think Joseph, you know, you think his life would be all about finding a wife right now and things like that or, you know, or yeah. hanging out with the dudes or whatever. You know, Joseph was being used by God and something very powerful about that. He was able to be used by God and just some powerful lessons in that. Very incredible. Well, do you have anything else to offer before we wind out? Not that I can think of. I mean, I imagine I'll have 15 things strike me as soon as we sign off. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, we, we certainly thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast today. Um, again, uh, check out the, uh, website, northcolumbuschristians.com. Uh, check out Bryant's, uh, you know, church where Bryant, uh, works with, uh, Garden City COC, check out their website find them on Facebook. Uh, even though Bryant's not here, I'll, I'll give a shout out for him. And, uh, 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 Jonathan, again, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, really is a great treat to, to spend this time with you. And, uh, we hope to have you back on, uh, real soon. Well, Lord willing. And, uh, thank you for having me. I hope, uh, hope it was beneficial in some way. I know I've been blessed for the, for the study time with you, Stephen, and I've enjoyed it immensely. Well, thank you so much.
All right. Well, uh, next time, Lord willing, we'll be going to Genesis uh, chapter 38. Until then, uh, we hope that you study well and be lights to God's glory. The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.